Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Commitment Matters. Just a short introduction today, as this is part two of my conversation with Dr. Ted Jones. Now, if you missed part one, please pause this for now and go back and listen to the March 15th episode first. That way you won't have the dreaded lack of continuity confusion situation. If you've already listened to that episode, then you're no doubt anxious to get this second half underway. So I'll get out of the way as you enjoy filling in the rest of the puzzle pieces with Dr. Ted Jones. Okay, you always throw in some fun, interesting tidbits, whether it's your look at different states or your look at some of the spicier pieces of data points that you pull in to synthesize out your forecast. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. Tell us the rest of what you're seeing and factoring into your forecast. Well, this, you know, this pandemic, it didn't cause many new trends, but it accelerated several trends. We were already buying a lot of e-commerce. We're just buying a lot more. We already had for 50 years people leaving California, going to the Pacific Northwest and the Southwest, and people leaving the New England states. And let me define the New England states. Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, <laughs> Maryland, and they're moving to Sunbelt, particularly Florida. This accelerated that. We already had people like me. You know, I'm in my beautiful office here at our corporate headquarters in Houston. Just down the hallway is the CEO and the CFO. I really don't need an office. I need internet connectivity. Look what we're doing today on this thing. So I guess you could say I used to be a work from anywhere, not work from home, work from anywhere. I did several virtual presentations this week while I was on the road doing another actual in-person presentation also. So this work from anywhere is structurally changing the way we do business and our lifestyle for about half of Americans right now. One of the other trends we had, it's been... 700 plus days since the pandemic started. Over 700 days. They say if you do the same thing for 66 days in a row on average, you have a new habit. We're way beyond having a new habit. These are new lifestyles. We got a lot of new permanent changes going to go around. If you think, I love this line I use. The first day of the pandemic, March the 11th, 2020, my first Zoom presentation ever. I said, you know, first of all, this is a virus. So they tell us. And the colds virus, flu virus, they're still with us. I said, this isn't going to go away. It'll eventually work its way through. We didn't get that so-called herd immunity. But we'll never be completely done with it. But I said then, I said, we know this pandemic is not over until you can get on a crowded elevator without a mask, take the last seat on a full airplane without a mask, or go to a Texas A&M football game with 100,000 of your best Raven Aggie fans. We did that in October. We did that in October. November when we A&M beat Alabama. How about that? And, you know, they, they even tracked a bunch of people from that. It was not a super spreader event. So we've come a long ways down this thing, but it's going to be around for a while. We're still going to unfortunately have uh, fatalities on this thing, and it just is what it is. I want you to back up and think this. Let's say we're back 15 years ago. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to pay about 100 bucks a year. And on your computer, you can order anything you want. And a day or two or three later, it'll be there. And some days they'll deliver it sometimes the day you order it. And it'll be free shipping for that hundred bucks a year. You just sounded like a wizard. Well, yeah, well, that's called Amazon Prime. <laughs> you know, and I always, I find it almost humorous that uh, no one talks about the amount of damage we're doing to the environment with all these boxes. No one ever mentions that type of thing. One of the, one of the neat tidbits we have right now, our U.S. in population each year, the Census Bureau estimates population as of July 1. 
between July 1, 2020 and July 1, 2021, the U.S. grew one-tenth of one percent. That was it. But the top-growing states, percentage-wise, Idaho, 1.9%. Utah, 1.7%. Montana, 1.7%. Arizona, 1.4%. South Carolina, 1.2%. Delaware, 1.2%. That's actually people leaving the big cities, going to the burbs. We talked about that. Texas, we grew 1.3%, but we were the largest gain in total population. We gained over 300,000 people. Florida gained a little over 200,000, and then Nevada. The losers, and this is that structural trend we talked about, biggest losses, District of Columbia, and I know they're not a state, we're going to include them in there, they lost 2.9%. Percentage-wise, they lost as many as the largest one gained. Then you throw in the next ones, New York, Illinois. California, Hawaii, all high-tax states, all high-tax states. And we're going to see, continue to see that. Just a real quick sideline. Every year, the, the Tax Foundation, they're not-for-profit out of Washington, D.C., they do a big study, and they look at five taxes, corporate income tax, personal income tax, retail sales tax, unemployment tax, and property tax. The highest tax states in the country, number one, New Jersey, number two, California, three, New York, Connecticut, Maryland, Minnesota, the lowest tax states, number one, Wyoming. And not, not, not everyone's going to be moving to Wyoming. That's, you know, that's not their lifestyle. Number two, this will blow you away, South Dakota. And most of the people moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, are moving from Minneapolis because it's a couple-hour drive, and they can just move a couple hours and go from one of the top six highest tax places in the country to some place that's a lot more affordable. And then, of course, the next one, lowest taxes, Alaska. They just don't hardly have any taxes. Fourth best taxes are Florida. So when you look at that, down the line, what our politicians do will change this somewhat. California already has the highest personal income tax in the country. You can, it goes up to 13.3%. You have a governor today that wants to double that. He wants to raise that top tax rate for individuals to 26 plus percent. I guarantee you, if he does, you will see another acceleration of people bailing out of California. Yeah, Texas is going to get full very quick. That's right. And, and Nevada and, and Arizona and other surrounding states like that. So those are unique things because we are economic beasts when it comes to that. It's a really unique thing. And I guarantee every business in America is doing what I'm going to describe here in a minute. But I'm going to use oil and gas as an example. In 2014... In the U.S., we produce about 8.8 .8 million barrels of oil. Oil prices a little above $93 average for that year. We had 525,000 people working directly or right behind the people that actually extracted oil and gas. Fast forward to 2020. We don't have the 2021 numbers yet. Our price dropped 60%. We went from 93 and change to 31 and change. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? Price dropped 60%. Our production, when, when you get a price drop to stay in business, if you make less per widget, you got to sell more widgets. So they up production from 8.8 .8 million barrels to 13.3 million barrels. So we're producing 30% more oil, but we're producing 30% more oil with 40% fewer workers. Get that. In fact, we're producing 30% more oil with 76% fewer drilling rigs because technology is changing the way we do business. And I just gave an example on oil and gas, how they had to change to survive. I guarantee you every business in America is doing this exact same thing as we speak on the, how the cost structure is and what they do and what have you. So let's, let's go back to February 2020. And then we'll, we'll go from February 2020 to the trough 
And the trough could be any time from April or May of 2020, depending on the state. Michigan, between February 2020 and May of 2020, lost 23.7% of all their jobs. They lost one out of every four jobs. In the U.S., we dropped about 24 million. That's 14.7% of our workforce. Utah only lost 8.9%. It's one out of 12 instead of one out of four. But now let's fast forward to now. And so who's, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's now the best of all? We have five states today that have as many jobs as any time in history or more. Number one, Utah's up 3.8%. Idaho's up 2.2%. Texas is up 7 tenths percent. Arizona's up a half percent. And Montana is exactly the, within 100 people employed as were before the pandemic. We've got five other states that are within 1%. Georgia, Arkansas, Tennessee, Nebraska, and North Carolina. We still have, you know, leisure and hospitality is still hard hit. You go to Nevada, they're still 4.7% short. Hawaii is 12.4% short. And it's going to be one of our last ones to recover, I'm afraid. And when it does recover, it's different. I don't know if y'all have checked into hotels lately. Check in on a Monday and check out. I don't care if it's even a week later. They're not going to clean your room. You could go down to the front desk and get new towels, but they're not going to go in your room, not going to clean it, even at some very upscale hotels. And that's, I feel like that might be here to stay, right? I do. That's that structural change. That's what I was saying. Every business is learning how to do more with less. One of my hotels this past week, I asked them, what percent of your housekeeping staff have you brought back? About half. And the other half will never come back, I don't think. Because again, we're kind of adapting to that type thing. Very, very intriguing on that aspect of it. One of the other ones, let me get this one. Now we're going to kind of segue into the commercial stuff. Investors, they like secondary and tertiary cities, but they don't like itty bitty cities. Uh, little itty bitty cities, if you have one employer go, you can roll up sidewalks on the town. So I, I did a quick one and we have 380 MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas. And when I was in Florida last week, listen, and these are the, the top gains in jobs. In other words, how many more do you have than you had before the pandemic? And uh, out of the 380, the 11th best of the country is Lakeland, Winter Haven, Florida. They're up 4% than before the pandemic. Port St. Lucie, they only have 162,000 jobs at 2.9% up. Palm Bay, Melbourne, Titusville up 2%. Panama City up 1.8%. Northport, Sarasota, Bradenton up. All these are in the top 30 some of the country. And so you see some markets that are just recovering a lot better than the rest of the country. I wonder if some of these really hard hit markets, particularly in New York and New Jersey, I wonder if they'll ever get back the total jobs in the rest of my life, because I don't think some of them will. It's just, just a different scenario that we have today. In fact, every metropolitan statistical area in Florida has at least as many jobs as it did before the pandemic. Some of them have a lot more. United Van Lines, just to go back and kind of reassure that this, but I tell you, people are going to the burbs or good tax locations. United Van Lines, their 2021 study said here, and this is based on the greatest percentage of net inbound trucks, not number. Vermont was the number one inbound state last year, greatest percentage inbound. But that's people abandoning New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, those type things. South Dakota was a number two. And a lot of that was people, like I said, that was a tax situation moving out of Minnesota. Now, moving into South Dakota, South Carolina, and West Virginia, and Florida. 
the top outbound cities with the United Van Lines, New Jersey, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, California, Michigan, Massachusetts. Well, y'all, with the same usual suspects are all right there. What do those things have in common, Ted? <laughs> Let's just say they're high-tax states. We'll just leave it at that. And the top inbound metros, they're not going to find a big city in this top 10. Medford, Ashland, Oregon, number one. 83% of United Van Lines movements were inbound. Hunter Gorda, Florida, 81%. Wilmington, North Carolina, Eugene, Springfield, Oregon, Sarasota, Bradenton, Florida, Sioux Falls, that tax thing, Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Myrtle Beach, Santa Fe, and Bellingham. Isn't that amazing? None of those are big cities. You know, none of them are big cities, so kind of But intrigued. there are places that you tended to visit in the past, and you think, boy, it sure would be nice to live here. So they did. because so it's, it's, it's work from anywhere now. They probably, half of them probably still have their same job. So those are, those are structural changes that we're seeing right now without question. Well, you mentioned the hospitality industry a little bit ago, and I wanted to come back to that. And you said you thought it'd be the last or one of the last to recover. I wonder if how we, how and when we travel will be different now because we have invested more in our homes and living in a place we might enjoy living more than where we lived before. I look at that question and I add it to, I think work travel has changed drastically. Maybe not for you, although you are doing virtual presentations now, so But, you know, there was a time in life where I was gone all week, every week. And not only do I not think I will return to that, I hope to not return to that. So if work travel is diminished, at least for now, I don't I'd like to know if you see that coming back. And if you see the way that we vacation being different from here on, or do you think we will eventually get back to where we were before? You know, like I said, you form a new habit if you do the same thing in 66 days in a row on average. We not only have new temporary habits, we have new permanent habits. The CEO of United Airlines says that he fully anticipates that 20% of his business travel pre-pandemic will never, ever return. Ever. Now, I mentioned my place in St. John, the Virgin Islands. My property was rented out 268 nights last year. 268 nights. So people are going to destinations. Look at the Airbnb business or VRBO and those type things. If it's a great destination, you can't get a booking. They're already booked for the summer in many of these locations. So I think that's uh, on the fun travel side. Oh, and I can still work there too because work from any place. That's different. But on the business side, I I think you're right on, Mary, that some of it's just not going to come back business-wise. Do you have a sense, Ted, of how the retailers are doing with their place online and pickup? You know, they've got the designated parking spots. And and I know, for example, the personal grocery shopping online order and pickup with, with a shopper is going really well. I think that's a structural thing that we will retain. But how are the retailers doing with that? Because I see, you know, the parking spots. I haven't really availed myself of that, but I know a lot of people have. Do you see that continuing and in, in changing retail structurally for a while? Or I just don't have a sense of have they done well with that? Or is it was it just sort of a stopgap? Done extremely well with it. And I'll just use Chipotle as a good example. Chipotle didn't have any drive-up windows. That's whether you have that curbside pickup, outside pickup, drive-through pickup, deliver-at-home pickup. But in 2018, when Chipotle added a drive-through window, that same store sales increased 15%. The economics of it are phenomenal. Now, now Chipotle now has a new concept. It's even better. It's called the Chipotle Digital Kitchen. And it has a drive-through window and an outside 
curbside pickup window. And as a consumer, you cannot even go inside. So now we're seeing this trend that's now saying consumers like the new Taco Bells. They're all elevated and you drive underneath the Taco Bell and it's all delivered to your window via the electronic carriers. And not only that, now think about this. They now have two, three lanes on it. They can use smaller, more affordable sites. You never even have to clean a restroom that a consumer and one of your customers use. The only ones can steal from you now are your own employees. And so you can get a more affordable lot, smaller lot sites. And so it changes the whole dynamics of this. P.F. Chang's last year added 50 P.F. Chang's takeouts. There's not a table inside that you can sit on. There's not a chair inside you can sit on. 50 takeout sites. So this is a new consumer. Now, what we're learning, go back to retail shopping, Target is adding. Oh, but you know this. You already know this if you read my Twitter account. Target is now adding uh, curbside refunds and drop-offs. By the way, while you're in line to do your curbside things, they'll also deliver a Starbucks coffee to you. You can order on your app. And so Target's, and another thing Target's doing, they're increasing their average hourly wage for new starters from $15 to $24 per hour. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's big, big numbers. And so I mean, the retailers, they're dynamic, they're fluid. But to go back to what you said, the new buzz, what's been a buzzword for 20 years in the retail industry, is omni-channel marketing. And I'm going to use real estate as an example how that works. So 25 years ago, realtor or real estate agent, they get a listing. And what'd they do? Well, they put it on the MLS that only their competitors could see. I mean, so, you think about this. Not one consumer could look at it. No, but your competitors have free reign. Yeah. And then you went to their house and you put a yard sign in front. Oh, and on Sundays, you came back and you tied helium balloons to that yard sign. Then down at the corner, you tied it on the power pole or the sign, open house arrow with another helium balloon there. And then you may have advertised in the local newspaper, you may have advertised the local real estate book, and that's how you sold a home. I have a realtor friend now. She sold and her assistant, they did 312 halves last year. It's half the transaction, two of them, 312. And what she does on every one of them, the first thing she does, puts it on the MLS, which now the consumers get to see. And then she adds it on Instagram. She tweets on it, a graphic, because you can't put enough words in there. And then she puts it on Facebook. And I think about 40 of her transactions last year were sold to people who had never stepped foot on the property. So we, we see all these ways we, we sell to consumers, and this new omni-channel marketing is it. So I think retailers are really astute. They've got multiple avenues to reach different types of customers. When I was in Tampa last week, one of the uh, TV stations, kind of local channel type thing, they had a 30-minute show that a realtor bought. Every 60 seconds, they were showing another house like it did 25 years ago. And I'm thinking, wow, this is this old school. I, I can't believe we're still doing this. And then it dawned on me, old people are still moving to Florida. <laughs> and still watching TV. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so they probably, they probably went to the early bird special at 4.30 and they got home at 7 and went to bed and they got up because they had to, well, we all know that. And they're still waiting, waiting cause they're, you're watching, looking at houses that are being sold. And so I, I get that. But we need to think of this omni-channel marketing in our own businesses because there's not one size fits all. And Dr. Ted, we say that message 
almost every day because, you know, when a new offering comes out, the immediate reaction tends to be, oh, so we're supposed to do everything like this now? No, no. It's another way to do things, but you have to be delivering in every way that a person might want to consume your services. And it is not one size fits all. That's right. Talk about structural change. The day of reckoning is hitting the financial industry as we speak right now. Look at our stock market. It's looking up here, it's down one and a half percent today. A lot of that's Russia, but a lot of it was we were kind of overvalued. So let's back up. And, oh, and by the way, understand I am talking about what people pay for stock, not what the companies are. So let's look at Tesla. Great example. So Tesla last year sold a little over 900,000 automobiles all the way around the world that they built. In the world last year, we sold about 77 million total vehicles from all car makers. So that means Tesla built about 1.2% of all cars. And these are as of October 25th, about once a quarter we update them, or Wall Street does for us, one of the two. But the market capitalization on that last time of Tesla, and that's simply the closing stock price times the number of shares outstanding. In other words, if you bought every share of stock at that business day, how much did you pay for the company? Tesla's worth $1.01 trillion. The combined market cap, and these companies I'm going to read off to you, they sold and built 57 million cars last year. Toyota, Volkswagen, BYD, which is the largest car maker in China, Daimler, GM, BMW, Ford, Stellantis, which is Fiat, Honda, and SAIC. That's the second largest car maker in China. The combined market cap of those companies that built 57 million cars is equal that of Tesla. And that is insane. And I've noticed I'm not talking about Tesla, the car maker. I'm talking about the buyers that are paying stupid, insane prices that make no economic sense. And that's why, that's why it's really easy to say, hey, it's going to hurt when it happens. It's going to hurt. Yeah. And uh, that's why I say it is on that. And is that just over exuberance? Is it because of the loyalty of the Tesla buyers and owners? Is it people betting on what they're doing with battery technology and vehicle technology in general is going to be the new way of doing things? I know you said it's insanity, but what do you think the elements of that insanity are? Greed. You know, it's kind of like, can you see the forest for the trees? And the trees are your way to see the forest top logic. I think that let's look at the MEM stocks. Let's rewind. And we had all these people look at AMC movie theaters, look at GameStop, companies that have no economic reason to be in business today. That stock price soared because a bunch of young people with money burning a hole in their pocket, they said, oh, we're, you know, we're going to tell you Wall Street, you don't dictate us. They bid that stock price up. And more, remember, every time the price is up, that means someone sold it and someone bought it at that price. And then those that didn't get out quick enough, they lost it all. We have to have rationality in this, and we, we don't have a lot of discipline in this market right now on that. Well, and it turns out Sonic had the prescient uh, restaurant model this whole time. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> the old A&W. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> roller ska- and roller skates are back, too. So, see? There you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Dr. Ted, we always love having you here. You always just have the best information, the insight that you give our listeners, especially title and settlement agents. It just really helps them chart a path forward for their business. So if you have any final words to send them out on, now would be the time. Real estate, I think, is still a great time to overweight in, particularly commercial real estate. Typically in inflationary periods, as long as we don't have a stagnant economy, 
real estate does well. Housing typically does well in inflation. And, you know, the simple fact is we can sit back and if construction material costs keep going up, then they're going to stop building houses if they can't sell them at the higher price. But the replacement cost of your house is going to be a lot higher than it is. So we're at that period of time. And I'll tell you, great time to overweight in real estate. Refi, day of reckoning is coming. And we know that we're, we're about halfway through that reckoning right now. And some people will go out of business on that one, on the lending side. And some of the lenders are going to grow really big because survival is strongest is always true. And, and it's going to happen again without question. You mentioned some things I did not know. I did not know that the Ron remote online notarization was uh, saving that much money. And what that says to me is someone's going to realize that I got a better motorcycle than everyone else has because I do 100% on that side profitability. And that means at some point in time, someone's going to say, you know what, I can I can do that job in a shrinking market better than you can. So I'm going to take your market. And that's what's going to happen. Dr. Ted, you're the best. We always appreciate you. Honored to be here. Thank you all very much. Thanks again, Ted, very much. We get more feedback about your episodes. Our listeners just absolutely love your material. Don't forget to follow Dr. Ted on Twitter Producer Amy has linked that up for you in the show notes, along with tons of other great resources that our guests mention. She likes for you guys to have everything handy. She's pretty great like that. Until next time, be generous with your smile. You just never know who might really need it. Be generous with your time. I'm willing to bet there's at least one person in your life who has really missed you lately. And keep that dancing sparkle in your eye that shows people how much you love what you do. Because... What you do really matters.